Never has there been a more crucial time in the history of mankind. The kingdom of darkness has done its best to disrupt governments, enslave societies, and hinder the saints. Circling the globe, however, are mighty men and women carrying the weapons of God to undo the power of Satan, preparing people for the return of Jesus Christ. Evangelist Chris Palmer is one of these soldiers. As he carries out his itinerant, join God's man of faith and power while he contends for the faith once delivered to the saints. Your life will be changed as you learn the walk of the Spirit and the walk of power in On the Road with Chris Palmer. I want to talk briefly tonight. Stay with me on the piano. I want to talk briefly tonight about the fact that Actually, just briefly tonight, I want to talk to you about your heritage in the Lord. How many have ever heard of the word heritage? Heritage. Heritage. My God, I feel His glory. Heritage is something that is given to you by right of birth. My heritage culturally is Italian. And we could go on and go through the Roman culturally, your heritage, but something's been given to you by birth. There are people who have a rich heritage because, look up here. Because they were born into a family that was automatically rich. And I'm not opposed to nepotism. Because if you're born in a successful family, more power to you. Amen. But tonight I want to talk to you about the heritage that you have as a believer. Because, my God, one high, thank you, Jesus. Because when the Lord who separated me from my mom's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. And he called me unto his ministry. He said to me when I was in Bible school, when I was in my class, he says, when you get into the ministry, you're going to find right away that it's going to be easy for you to separate yourself from your heritage. I thought, well, what do you mean by that, God? It's going to be easy to separate myself from my heritage. And he says, study heritage. Study the bloodline and the heritage that you are from. Because what I'm calling you to do in your ministry is go against the popularity curve. There are fads in ministry. There are fad People do one thing and it gets successful. Everybody else is doing that thing. And I'm not against programs or anything like that. But I'm, against fo I'm, I'm for following the Spirit. And he says, I don't want you to follow fads. I, I want you to really work as a minister in preserving your heritage. But you can't preserve it unless you understand it. And I will not give you the findings of everything that I found out about my heritage. But I will put my heritage into one word tonight. The heritage that I have as a born-again, spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ. And this is the heritage of every person that the light of this world has lit. And if you're 
writing and taking notes tonight. Stay with me because I'm going to pray for people tonight because what I believe is that if you don't know your heritage, you're going you're gonna to really step into it tonight. You're going to step into it and you're never going to be the same. The heritage that you have as a born-again child of God is in this one word. Are you ready? Write it down in caps. Supernatural. Supernatural. You have a supernatural heritage in Jesus Christ. And when Jude wrote his book, and he began to pen the book of Jude, the Spirit of God came over him, and he said, when I sat down to write unto you of the common salvation, I saw it was necessary for me to exhort you that you might contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And I found this, this was an interesting statement in Jude chapter 4 because, Jude verse 4, because I was in Chicago preaching one time and I didn't know what to preach and I was getting up and, and I was sitting in the back room and I thought, God, I don't know what to preach. I don't know what I'm not, I don't know what I'm supposed to preach. And I had 20 minutes because this particular church, for some reason, liked to do 17 praise and worship songs before they started. <laughs> I'm serious. It was 17. I saw it on the, I saw it on the list. 17 praise and worship songs, and that's their deal. So needless to say, I had a few minutes in the back to decide what I was going to say, and something happened to me, and I remember I just supernaturally stepped into Jude's shoes, and I felt like I was Jude sitting behind a table, and it was actually me that was writing the book of Jude. And, and see, that's what God will begin to do with you, that when you, re when you really sell yourself out to the Holy Spirit and you sell yourself out to God, and you begin to read the living word you'll begin to gain the heart of the reader and that comes through assimilating the word of God and when I began to open up to the book of Jude and I saw Jude and he was sitting down <clears throat> hand me some water Jay I saw Jude and he was sitting down And he was getting ready to write of the common salvation. He was going to write a basic letter and say, I'm going to exhort you that here's a few points of doctrine and here's a few order and good measures of the church. And when he sat down to do that, whew, supernaturally and suddenly the Spirit of God came over Jude. And when the Spirit of God came over Jude, there was a grieving on the inside of his heart. How can you be sure of this, Chris? Because I looked it up in a, whatever you call it, a dictionary. I looked it up in a concordance afterwards and found out that what the Spirit of God told me was exactly what historians were telling me. But the Spirit of God told me first because I have the master teacher that's operating in my life and Jude says when I went to give to you basic points there was a need that I never saw until the Spirit of God came over me and the need was was to get you to begin to contend with all your might to begin to strive and to fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints and then I asked the question wait a second the faith that was once delivered to the saints this is Jude that's talking he wasn't far removed from Paul he was just a few years and actually he was a contemporary of Paul he was like, he was only talking about 30 years back are you trying to tell me that something inside the church during Jude's days had absolutely been removed what was this thing and I'm not here to give you a study of Jude tonight but I want to read you Jude 19 Jude begins to give a dissertation about antichrist that crept into the church he says in verse number 12, there are spots in your feasts of charity 
when they feast with you. Feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackest of darkness forever. What's Jude talking about? Jude is taking a shot now at Antichrist that began to creep their way into the church. So I wanted to know one thing from the Spirit of God. What is the main crime of these false teachers that got into the church. And notice what he says here in verse number 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not, having not, not having the Spirit. And for two hours on that, on that Sunday morning in Chicago, I preached on having not the Spirit that the very first mark of the antichrist system that gets into the church is people that do not preserve their heritage in the Holy Ghost. And when you remove the heritage of the Holy Ghost inside of your life, you cease from becoming supernatural until you move into something that's natural and you are no longer operating the way that God called the church to operate, but you're now operating as a dry, dead church and you're not doing things that's conducive to the kingdom of God, but you're doing things consistent with the world and it can never ever produce the power that God is calling his New Testament church to produce. Are you with me? Go to James chapter 5, and this is where I want to start tonight. James chapter 5, I was... Who wants to be supernatural tonight? Does anyone want to be supernatural? When I was... Uh, I was getting ready to go on a, a long road trip in July, and I was going to be gone most of the month. And I had a few days in June where I wanted to spend some time in the presence of God. And so I took, my <clears throat> I took my Bible and I got alone in the presence of God and I began to worship the Lord. And I spent some time in private worship. And I'm not talking about private worship tonight. But I believe that one of the greatest ways to tap the realm of God is just to spend time in private worship. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I praise you. I, I worship you. I praise you. And it can be dry and boring sometimes, but that's only while you're in the flesh because when you get past the flesh and he begins to speak to your spirit, it's one of the most exciting things you can ever experience in your life. And all of a sudden, like a train, I felt him coming after about 45 minutes of continuing in worshiping intentionally directing every statement that I made towards Jesus and in an instant God gave me James chapter 5 verse 7 and this is what it says right here it says be, be patient therefore brethren unto the coming of the Lord behold the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain I had passed by this verse about 25 million times in my life. I was a Bible college student. One of the courses that I had in Bible school was James. But when you get in the presence of God and God begins to talk, he begins to reveal things to you that you never knew before. And the minute that I began to read James chapter 5 verse 7, in an instant I was taken into a little mini vision where I saw God 
And God was standing and he was looking at something. And I knew it was the face of the Father. I'm not saying I saw God, but you get what I'm saying. I saw in a vision of what seemed to be God. And here he was looking at something with the face of enamor. Looking with something in the way that he looked in his eyes. The way and the look that he had in his face was something that I, I couldn't describe the way that he was looking. And as I walked into the room and as I entered into the room, he didn't even acknowledge me and didn't look at me because he had a look of preoccupation on his face with whatever he was looking at and I thought what is he what is he looking at right now what God what, you, what are you looking at over there God, what, what are you looking at and when I looked at the face of God the only way that I could describe it was he looked the way my brother looked when my brother first had his baby his very first child when my brother had his first child I'll never forget it, it was December 16th his birthday's coming up 2010 and I walked into the hospital and my brother who was always the tough guy he was always the muscular guy and the guy that didn't want to be emotional he was standing there holding his baby and he was crying and he was looking at me with a state of confusion because all of a sudden he didn't even know this baby and now he has love towards something and he could never let it out of his hands and this was the same look that I saw on the face of God and I thought what is it that God is looking at right now and then the Lord let me see it and I saw that God was looking at the earth. He was looking at lost, dying, and broken humanity. And with a self-righteous heart, I thought to myself, doesn't God know that the world hates him? Doesn't God know that there are universities right now that deny that he even exists, let alone think that they, he loves them? Doesn't God know that the world can't stand him? Doesn't God know that people hate Jesus and don't want nothing to do with Jesus? Doesn't he know this? And then God dropped in my heart, James chapter 5 and verse 7, where he says, Brethren, be patient, therefore, under the coming of the Lord. And with that, the tapes in my mind began to rewind. They began to rewind. And they rewound to every single time that I, with self-righteousness, maybe even in a service, or maybe when I got tired of watching the news, would say, God, come. Lord, come. Come right now, Jesus. I'm tired of the ministry. I'm tired of people hating on you. I'm tired of people denying you. I'm tired of people saying you don't exist. What I want you to do is come and show up and land on the Mount of Olives and burn everybody up and send them to hell. Come right now, Lord. Just, just come. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said this to me and I will never forget it as long as I live. He said, son, do not make the same mistake the thousands of preachers have made long before your time I said what is that God he says because I'll let you make the mistake and you'll have a successful ministry and I'll even let you make this mistake but I'm telling you don't make it and I said what is that and he says do not spend a whole lifetime of ministry ministering to people without ever knowing the love that I now know them with. If you really had the love that I have in my heart towards the earth, you wouldn't be saying, God, come right now. You wouldn't be saying, hurry up and come and smite these people. Hurry up and come and vindicate yourself. Hurry up and come and prove yourself true. You would be saying to yourself, God, please be patient. God, 
be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. Just, just five more minutes, just 10 more minutes, just God, a couple more years, just a couple more, just be patient. And then in the mind of God, James did something supernatural. And he illustrated with this. He says, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and he has long patience for it until he receives the early, until he receives the latter rain. And so he illustrates it like a farmer who has a field and the farmer invests his whole life into the field. Takes every dollar and takes every dime and he says, this is the field that I have purchased. This is my field. And I'm going to spend my whole career and I'm going to spend all my time cultivating this field and tilling this field. And when you put time into something and when you put money into something and when you put your whole life and your whole heart into something, that is the thing that you now identify with and you begin to love. And he says, just like a farmer who loves his field because he spent his whole life in that field, he said, this is the exact same way that God loves the earth. And he says, and just like a farmer who says in his heart, I'm going to wait for this field and I'm going to spend more time. He he says, it's the same way that God feels towards this earth. And what I was doing was I was saying, God, why don't you take your sickle right now and be hasty with the blade and just get your last harvest and go. And God's saying, don't ask me to be hasty with the blade. Ask me to send rain so I can send one more outpouring and gain one more harvest. The cry of haste is, God, come. But the cry of love is, send one more rain. God, rain one more time. Rain upon Palm Springs. Rain upon Los Angeles. Rain upon Anaheim. Rain upon California. Rain upon the United States. Don't come just yet. God, rain. God, rain. Send your rain. Send your rain. That is the cry of love. Then God says, I want you to begin to study great outpourings of the Spirit. And I realize that if people want God to reign, I'm not talking about just getting people success principles and saying, here's a few success principles, here's a few good sermons. I could spend all my time trying to make good sermons. I'm not after good sermons. What I'm after is getting people to a place where they know how to understand the walk of the Spirit so the Spirit of God can come upon them and they can become supernatural because the very first thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to remove the supernatural because if you can remove the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost from the church, the thing that is going to begin to happen is that there will never be a move of God because every move of God started by the Spirit of God. So what the devil tries to do is he sends antis into the church and the antis begin to remove the supernatural because listen to this, listen, the devil hates your heritage as a supernatural person of God. He hates the fact that you got the Holy Ghost. He hates the fact that you got the Spirit of God. He hates seeing believers that are walking around with peace and walking around with joy and walking around with love and are fortified by the Spirit of God. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is the enemy's demise. And the devil doesn't mind you knowing about the Bible. And the devil doesn't mind you thinking about God. And the devil doesn't mind you taking notes in church. But what he hates is when you get filled with the Spirit of God and you become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. He hates that. That's why when there was a great outpouring of the Spirit that happened here in Los Angeles called Azusa Street in 1906 at 312 Azusa Street. See, we don't know, there is, listen, there is no generation on the planet right now in the United States that has ever seen a massive revival of God. None! Everybody in that Azusa Street generation is dead. 
they're gone. Well, we had Brownsville. We had, you know, the Canada and the Toronto outpouring. Those were moves of God, but they weren't revivals of God. Not compared to what they had at Azusa Street, man. No, it wasn't. Well, how do you know it was a move of God? Let me explain to you what was going on at Azusa Street. There was one thing that separated Azusa Street from Brownsville. There was one thing that separated Azusa Street from the Toronto outpouring. There was one thing that has separated Azusa Street from everything else, and that was as the eyewitnesses of Azusa Street will tell you, we sat in the pews and we were three and four and five and six years of age, and the thing that separated that from every move of God we ever saw is was that the manifest presence of God called the Shekinah glory rested upon 312 of Azusa Street and God moved his headquarters from heaven to that little mission on a little corner in Los Angeles and stayed there for five years. That cloud, the minute it descended in Azusa Street, never left. It was supernatural. It was, it was your heritage. It belongs to you. It was passed down from John G. Lake. It was passed down from Smith Wigglesworth. It was passed down from Evan Roberts. It was passed down to you. It was, it was, it was supernatural. It couldn't be duplicated by good teaching. It couldn't be duplicated by good worship. It couldn't be duplicated by a new program. It was something that God says, I'm going to do it. And he came down and he rested in that mission. What happened at Azusa Street? You had kids that were three and four begging their moms and dads because they had church five days a week when Azusa Street was at its prime, saying, can we go to church tonight? Can, can we please go to church tonight? Can, can we go to church tonight? Can we go to church tonight? Please, can we go to church tonight? And they weren't running a children's program with Faith World and all the cool things that we have, and that's good and great, and I like those things, but they didn't have that. Instead, the kids were entertained because when they were at Azusa Street, they were playing in the glory. There's stories of people that went around and they played hide and go seek in the glory cloud. There's a story of one kid that took a Coke bottle or a little glass bottle into Azusa Street because he loved the presence of God so much. He loved the supernatural so much that he tried to put that cloud inside that bottle so he could take it home and put it on his shelf in his room. God has a sense of humor. I think, I think God appreciated the innocence of the child. But guess what was happening? These kids were learning the supernatural. Trying to bottle up the glory. Spending time in the glory. And it was those kids that tried to bottle up the glory that at 90 years of age, they were interviewed. They said, what was your life like at Azusa Street? And they says, we never one time ever fell away from the things of God. We never one time ever fell into sin. We never fell into lust. We never fell into fornication. We never fell into drugs. Everybody says, well, everybody has those times. Not these people at Azusa Street because what they experienced was real. They experienced the presence of God. They weren't just taught the presence of God. They weren't just, because we have great preachers nowadays and they're on TV and they preach good sermons and it gets you going, oh, wow, this is great. This is great. But what they're saying is when they get off the TV, where is the supernatural? Where's the power of God? Where is it? Where is it? Because I need it to sustain me and keep me out of a life of sin. Where's the supernatural? Where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? And the greatest mark of Azusa Street wasn't just the miracles that happened. 
Look up the history of records, even secular records will tell you that it was witnessed that gums were growing back in people's mouth. Teeth were growing back. People's hair was growing back. There was limbs that were growing out. Body parts were being restored. It wasn't a bunch of spooky, goofy people walking around talking about new age things and how they're doing it. They just preached Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost and left the explaining to itself. Nowadays, people are trying to say it's this and that, and they're just bringing new age into the church. And that's not what God, that's not what they were doing at Azusa Street. They weren't talking about third eyes and portals. All they were talking about was Jesus Christ and his power. They weren't after the manifestations. They were after God. They were after Jesus. Wow, he's fiery. It's the last night. I got to be fiery tonight. But the... The Lord told me this one time, he said, Chris, he said, he said, observe Azusa Street and learn two things. Azusa Street and the heritage of the supernatural was first marked. The greatest thing that happened was it became the launching pad of the greatest missionary immobilization of all time. Because of Azusa Street, you had spirit-filled Pentecostal believers going to China going to Asia. Spirit-filled believers going to Africa. John G. Lake got filled with the Holy Ghost there at Azusa Street and went to South Africa and ripped the nation of South Africa apart. That was before they had YWAM. That was before they had Acquire the Fire. That was before they had all the mission organizations that you have now. That was a man and his Bible going there to a people that didn't speak the language, but all he knew was the raw power of God. You know why we don't have the Shekinah in, a lot of, in, in our move today is because we have everything else but the Shekinah. Why do we need the Shekinah? We have all the money we need. Why do we have the Shekinah? I'm not against those things. What I'm saying is that we have to have a dependency upon the Spirit, friend. You can never lose a dependency upon God. But the second, and I believe the greatest thing that Azusa Street accomplished, was that when the Spirit of God began to fill people's hearts, the greatest wall that's in the church today, there will never be a move of God in any church or any city or any state until the greatest giant that needs to be slain in the world today falls down, and that is the giant of racism. That when Azusa Street was accomplished, William Seymour stood up a blind man who was black and discriminated against at time, says the blood of Jesus has washed the cultural barrier away. Because why? Because when you understand your supernatural heritage, you will understand this. When you're supernatural, there is no black, there is no white, there is no yellow, there is no red, there is only spirit. And all spirit is light and comes from God and God isn't black and God isn't white he is robed around with glory that's what he is spirit clothed with glory and holiness and power God is not God doesn't have power he is power he doesn't have knowledge he is knowledge he's the source of all wisdom any wisdom that's in the earth drip down from God that was what was happening at Azusa Street. And here's what happened. After Azusa Street, there was a mass mobilization of the power and the Spirit of God. And when that happened, after that mass mobilization of the army of God that went around the world, the devil got frustrated and locked up Los Angeles. And he gave an assignment to the ruler of darkness and says, it was your job, Mr. Ruler of Darkness, to prevent from the, the invasion of light from happening in the Los Angeles area. And now we're sending reinforcements to see to it that California never sees a move of God again. To see to it that L.A. never sees a move of God again. To see to it that there's never a move of the Spirit again. Give them church. Give them religion. Give them rules. Give them everything but the supernatural. See to it that when you find folks that are going after everything that God has, for them, you slap them to the ground. 
they start going after that thing again, if they pick back up their heritage, if they go after what's been given to them by Jesus, ah, Jesus. The gift that Jesus gave to you after you were born again, if that wasn't already enough, if being born again, that's what the early church used to say, if he saved me, that was enough. If he healed me, that was enough. If he set me free, that was enough. But if that wasn't enough, he still gave you the Holy Ghost to overcome any problem that you had in your life. And after you overcame your problem, you could go after the heritage and begin to win back your city and begin to win back your schools and begin to win back your churches. And you won't have to seek out President Obama to do it. You won't have to write your congressman to do it. You can do it by preaching the gospel with power because your congressman will appease you. It doesn't matter who gets into the White House in 2012. It doesn't matter if they're Democrat, if they're Republican, if they're Green Party, if they're Communist Party, if they're Third Party, Fourth Party, or Twelfth Party. It's not going to change things. The Republicans get in, the Democrats get mad. The Democrats get in, the Republicans get mad. And then it just goes on and on and on. It's a cycle. It's never going to change itself. Until you have a generation that steps up and says, no longer will we be a natural generation. We're going to be a supernatural. We are going to be a supernatural generation. We're going to give ourselves to prayer. And when we see a brother fall, we're going to pick him back up. If you weren't here for this morning's session, get, the CD will be on my podcast. We talked about how the enemy slaps people down. But listen. When I go to churches, pastors ask me, they say, Chris, what can we begin to do? And I say this. Chuck and cut all the fat off of what you're doing and start praying again. What happens when antis get into the church? See, when the enemy tries to, when the enemy tries to stop you, he's not gonna give you 90% poison and 10% water because you'll taste it and get catch on to it. Satan's not gonna send a bunch of super sinners into the church and obvious lustful sins to try and deceive you he's going to send little subtleties into the church and the bible says there is a way that seemeth right to a man but the end thereof is death what happens why has the church lost its power chris the reason why the church has lost its power tertullian once said he was a great defender of the faith he says what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem what is that supposed to mean this is not an intellectual gospel and I know people that have gone and spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to sit around at coffee tables at Panera Bread and Starbucks and talk about their latest theological advancement and study it and they tweet and they send out Facebooks about all the theological knowledge that they have but there are people who are bound with suicide there are people who are bound in homosexuality there are people that are bound in cutting themselves there's a whole generation that the enemy is trying to win back what is your theological understanding going to do for them is a call for the supernatural power of God where you can begin to rise up in faith and say give me an impossible case I'm going to pray for him give me something impossible and let me pray for it see I'm smiling I'm not mad, I'm smiling, I promise you. My dad said, you got to smile more when you preach. I said, I'll smile when I get to heaven. <laughs> Just playing. There's no focus anymore in most churches on the supernatural. A lot of people come to church and all they want to do is they want to feed misery and they want to feed sin. You did that 
Let's just put a band-aid on it. You did that? Let's just put a band-aid on it. There's no focus anymore on the glory of God. There's no focus anymore on the anointing of God. There's no focus anymore on the anointing of God. And you know what people do now? There's really no concentration on solid prayer and fasting again. I know the old generation, when I talk to people that are in their 80s and sometimes in their 90s, said, in my day, we went and we spent all day in church. We went and we fasted all day in church. We got on our knees and prayed. You talk to those old-time saints, and they know something about the Holy Ghost. They know something about a move of God. And nowadays, we don't, we don't need all that. But what God is saying is, I want a generation again that understands fasting. Confession doesn't replace what fasting can do for you. Fasting removes the limitations imposed upon you because of your body. What fasting does is that it weakens this flesh so your spirit man can regain the dominance in your life because the unbelief is not inside your spirit. The unbelief is in your flesh. When someone comes and they have blind eyes and God wants you to operate in the supernatural and open it up, it's not your spirit saying no. Your spirit is saying, come on, I want to see it happen. I want to see him healed. I want to see it. It's your flesh that's saying, don't do it. There'll be a lawsuit. Don't do it. If they fall back, they'll sue you. But when you pull fast, your flesh gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until your spirit man says, let's do it. And your flesh can't even hear it. And then God, shoo, pop. But we don't want to fast nowadays, especially not this time of the year. People want to live independent from the supernatural. When antis come into the church, write this down. When antis get into the church, they begin to destroy the heritage of the Holy Ghost. They, have, they may have good sermons. They may have, I'm not saying anyone's an antichrist. Don't get me wrong. The very first thing that begins to happen is apostles and prophets. You can't just be an apostle because you want to be an apostle. You can't just call yourself an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent by God. And nobody is sent by God unless they are trained by God. Unless they have been accepted by God. Unless they have been approved by God. The apostles who are the sent ones with a message from Jesus and the prophets who are those who have the word of the Lord in their mouth. See, what prophets do is prophets can change the atmosphere by the word of the Lord because they have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is doing. And what a prophet can do is, let me tell you what a prophet does. An apostle goes and he builds the kingdom of God. He has a grace to go into some place and begin to plant and begin to raise up and begin to train and begin to send out. What a prophet does is he keeps the house of the Lord in check and he brings the fear of the Lord. A true prophet is not someone that comes along and says, tomorrow about this time, about this time tomorrow, it's going to all turn around for you. He may say that. But a true prophet of God, if he says that, is still going to install fear, the fear of the Lord into the church and get you back to that place where you can respect and reverence the Lord, where you now have a fear of the Lord in your spirit, where you don't want to sin. And the Lord told me one time, he says, the reason why people get into sin and why churches fall and they fall short is because the prophetic edge has weakened inside the church. Is that the apostles and prophets, when antis get into the church, the apostles and prophets are replaced by good administrators and businessmen. When antis get into the church, reason 
substitutes faith and entertainment begins to substitute power. Write this down. When antis get into the church, counseling, look, counseling begins to replace deliverance. And I have nothing against counseling. But understand this, you cannot counsel a devil. Because the devil one day will say black and the next day he'll say white. One day the devil will say good, the next day the devil will say bad. And you'll have the counselor sitting in his chair thinking, what am I supposed to do with this person? What, what am I supposed to do with this person? I, I can't figure it out. What am, what, I, I, what, am, what am I supposed to do? I, I can't figure it out. Because what they don't realize is they're sitting and they're talking to a devil. And that's because what ends up happening when antis get into church is psychology and psychiatry replace Holy Ghost discernment. See, God, has, God told me he's going to restore discernment to a church. There's times when I'm praying for people, and it's not a devil. It's someone acting up in their flesh. But there are times when I was, I mean, there's, there's been times where I know it's a devil. And you'll know it's a devil when all the hairs on the back of your neck begin to stand up because you know you are coming face to face with the power that is working through this individual. And unless you know the risen Jesus, you don't have what it takes to cast it out. When antis get into the church, charisma and eloquence begin to replace the manifest presence of God. And when antis get into church, good teaching begins to replace good character. It's okay if he's a homosexual, he can teach good. It's okay if he's gay, he can sing good. That's okay. He's got a good voice. Let his gifts shine. We're going to use his gifts for the kingdom. Don't you know that it's not about gifting? It's about the anointing? Don't you have any idea that if the person's in sin, the anointing in their life is going to, the, the sin that's in their life can creep its way into the church? Help them, but don't let them get in ministry. And that begins to all stifle the supernatural power of God. And what God is saying is he's saying, I want a generation that is after the supernatural again. I want a generation that, that wants the Shekinah, that's after the Shekinah. Now, I believe in the manifest presence of God. And I want to see that. Well, how, how can we begin to get that back in the church? not trying to be the best communicator I'll never be the best communicator but if I can raise people up to go after what I'm going after say look I'm going to go after it and you can follow me and I decided to do that God began to send me people that says Chris we'll go after it with you I'm going you coming with me or not like Lester Summerall who follow around Howard Carter and Howard Carter says I'm going into those jungles of China and you're either going to follow me Lester or not and Lester fell sick and Howard Carter left him and Lester had to get himself up and believe God for his healing again to follow Howard Carter and that's the kind of generation that God is looking for people that will say I'm, I'm just going after it I'm going after prayer I'm not going after skill I'm not going after promotion to church I'm not trying to start another mega church I don't care if my ministry is small I don't care if it's big it doesn't matter to me I'm after him I told you the reward is him. It's not the fact that you get to look back on your ministry and say, yeah, I did pretty good. Now I can pass this over to my spiritual kids. I'm not trying to have 500 spiritual children. I'm not going to take on more spiritual children when I get older than that can I afford because sometimes we make it like the children are supposed to be taking care of the fathers and the fathers are supposed to be taking care of the children. What I'm after is him. And it makes me unpopular. It'll make me, he's all here. Listen, I'm after him. I'm after the spirit. I'm after God. 
And I began to, the Lord began to deal with me about this. And I thought, what is it, God? What, what, what I, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory in a generation. And, and it's not going to come by a conference. Because we have conferences today and we can say, we can call the conference. We can call it Oasis in the Desert. We can call it whatever we want to call it. But just because we decide to have a conference doesn't mean that God has to show up for that conference. God can do whatever he wants to do. You can't earmark God. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. You can put on an expensive conference and pub it and advertise it and get YouTube videos and dramatic music upon it. But listen to this. Write this down. Write this down. If you want the supernatural power of God in your life, if you want the very manifest presence of God, this is what the Lord told me, and I'll back it up with Scripture. If you want it in your life and you want to see his power and you want to see his glory revealed, it's going to take this. It's one thing. It's called brokenness. You've got to be broken before God. You can puppet, you can act like it's great, and you can have this big expensive conference with all the lights and all the fixtures, but listen to this. God may show up only in part, but right now you have people in China who are cramming into a little room, and they're begging people, just preach longer. We'll stay. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what degree you have. Tell me something about him. They're broke. All they got is Jesus. All they got is him. That's all, that's all they got. We have great preachers that aren't broke. We have great preachers that can teach, but they're not broke before God. They got good communication skills. They know the word. They can teach you faith, but they don't have the supernatural because they're not broken before Jesus. If you took Jesus away from them, it wouldn't matter. They still have the money. If you took Jesus away from them, it wouldn't matter. What do I need, Jesus? Look at everything I got that he gave me. But if you take Jesus away from me, he's all I got. Don't take him from me. Because he's all I got. I've given my life for him. He's all I got. He's all I got. You go to Proverbs chapter 18. I'm flying on airplanes late at night. I spend about 75% of my time alone. He's all I got. People lose loved ones. They can't pick up the pieces. People get broken hearted when someone walks out. Why? Because they never let Jesus have that spot in their heart first. So you lost a loved one. It's okay. He's enough. So that he or him walked out. It's okay. He's enough. So you lost your job. He's enough. He's enough. When he takes those spots in your heart. When he fills those voids for him. You move past it. It's supernatural. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Thank you, Jesus.
Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. That honor is not talking about when you get up on a podium. The whole world exalts you and claps. Where their honor is the word kabod. It's the glory. It's the sweet, merciful presence of him. Before the sweet, merciful presence of Jesus. Before it comes. Before Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Before that comes, before the glory of God can manifest in your life, well, he, you're laying in your bed, and everything is going wrong until he walks in the room. greatest moment I ever had in my life, probably one of them. I was preaching a service in Texas and I was so overcome by his love, I just sat on my recliner and like waves after waves just kept rolling into my spirit. I thought, I can't take this anymore. I can't take it. What's it going to be like when I get to glory? My body can't take it. Before the glory, there has to be heart that says whatever you want God that you bow before him you want me to change jobs that's fine you want me to marry so and so that's fine see we have our agendas today in the church well I want to marry so and so and get a job so and so and God says you want the glory in your life you'll take my agenda that's not religious that's just a fact before you can have the glory, there has to be brokenness. What does every person that ever got a miracle from Jesus have in common? Some of them said that they would get healed. Some of them touched Jesus. Some of them were under Peter's shadow. What, is, what, is, what does everybody have in common that got a miracle from Jesus? From the rich man, Jairus, to the poor widow, everybody that got a miracle from Jesus came to Jesus broke. Master, please, come heal my daughter. Just speak the word. Here's a man that has lost his daughter. Lost his daughter. His very, see, we don't really put ourselves in his shoes sometimes. This was his own, this was his daughter. Lost it. He was broke. Devastated. His whole, his whole world had ended. A man out of his mind. Here's a man that brings his son to Jesus as master. He calls on himself to, to shake and he cuts himself and throws himself in fire. And we think it's funny sometimes because of the picture it puts in our mind. But this is the man's son and he's an embarrassment to his father. And the father's thinking, what, am I, what have I done wrong? And we all laugh sometimes and think like this has got to be a strange situation. But the man is broke. If you can't do it, your disciples can't do it. What am I going to do? was broke before Jesus and nowadays we have people that think well God's got to give me my miracle he don't have to do nothing for you nothing or he's got to by his word unless you're humble he's not going to do it
know what I learned? I'm a faith man. I believe in the faith message. I'm Brother, I'm Brother Hagen. But sometimes God likes to see you in tears. Why? Because he likes you that way. This is not my work. Sometimes we think if I confess this 900 times, we're going to get it. Confession ain't for God. It ain't going to move God. It just moves you to the place where you can receive from God. Well, if I say it 100 times, I might get it. If I pray in the Holy Ghost enough, I might get it. All that stuff is doing is assisting you to get what God wants. It's trying to get you to get what he's already provided for you. You can't work for it. Sometimes it's just your heart that cries out, oh, God, what am I going to do? And God says, all right, I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to do it just so you can see it's impossible so you know I'm God. And I'm going to get all the glory from it. That's how God is. He loves you today, friend. God wants us to be. Listen, man, I'm going in alone. I'll go in alone. I'll go in alone. I want the glory. When Jesus came in Matthew chapter 17 and he appeared on the mountain of transfiguration. And the Bible says that there was a cloud that appeared and it descended and rested upon Jesus. That was the Shekinah glory of God, but check this out. Peter, James, and John saw it, and of course they saw Elijah, and they, we, we won't go through all that, but what the thing about it was this, is even though they came down from that mount and the disciples, Peter, James, and John's eyes were restricted from seeing that cloud, the cloud never left Jesus. Because the Shekinah went everywhere Jesus went. And that's why when Jesus walked into Nain, people were raised from the dead. That's why when Jesus went into Capernaum, he was raising people up. That's why when Jesus went to the sea coasts of Galilee, people were getting healed. That's why he went by the river Jordan. People were finding him and receiving salvation. That's why when he went upon the Mount of Olives, he opened his mouth and people listened. Why? Because everywhere Jesus went, even if people didn't understand what exactly what it was, they were after the glory of God. Why? Because the glory of God is what you were meant to live in. It is your Eden. Eden, check this out. Nobody has ever been able to find Eden. That's because Eden is not a place. Eden is an environment. And wherever Adam went, that was Eden. It didn't matter if he was in Tibet, if he didn't matter if he was in Iraq or if he was in Iran. That was Eden, friend. And Eden is the glory of God. And the reason why you're attracted to the glory of God is because the glory of God is where man began and is where man will end. And it's what we can have today. If the glory of God isn't in the church, I don't want to be there. And I like the sermon. I like the preaching, but I want the glory. And I have nothing against the pastor. I'm not on a witch hunt. I'm not trying to make enemies while I'm preaching. But, friend, I'm, I want the glory. I'm after it. I'm, I'm after it. Because when the fear, when the glory's in the house, the fear of God's in the house. When the glory's in the house, you don't have pastors begging their members not to sleep around. The members are not going to sleep around. When you got the glory in the house, you don't have people just stuck on dope. When the glory is in the house, people walk in drunk and sit down sober. And you don't have to believe God for an anointed man like Oral Roberts to come along and say, in the name of Jesus, thank God for that. But that was the anointing at work. I believe this generation is going to see another level of the supernatural, not just faith, not just the anointing, but the highest level, and that's glory. The glory of God. Because in the anointing, we got to work for it. we got to believe God for it. we got to pray it kicks in. But in the glory, we can just rest and say, you do it, God. You show off and show out of the showdown. What's it take? Broken people. That doesn't mean that you have to trade in your Lexus. If you got a Lexus, shoot, hire me and get me a Lexus. 
Because if he gave me the Lexus, it wouldn't do nothing for me. If he took it away, it wouldn't matter to me either. Just, it's just the car. It's just the same, whatever. You with me tonight? The glory of God. The power of God. I'm after it, friend. That glory never left Jesus. Everywhere he went. And Jesus says this. You're his brother. You came out of the same loins that Paul came out of. You came out of the same loins that John came out of. You came out of the same loins that Peter came out of. You came out of the same loins. <laughs> that Jude came out of. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands and worship Him right now. Sweet Spirit has been with you. Stand to your feet. Let it move upon you right now. Let it move upon you right now. Some people right now, there's habits that are breaking off of your life. Lusts, addictions, pornography, drugs, whatever, alcohol. Those things are being reduced and minimized by His presence. Doesn't even have to be me laying hands on you. There's going to be people that walk out of this service. And you're just going to be different. The thing that you like to do, you won't want to do it no more. That thing that dogged you, you messed with your tracks. Followed you everywhere you went, won't be there no more. I was driving in Los Angeles. Me and Aaron were hanging out up in Long Beach. And I came through Los Angeles and Beverly Hills just to see. And I saw people that were hurting. I saw people that had everything. I was interviewed by a university last Thursday. I was teaching a class. And there was some young ministry students in the room that we were doing it via Skype. And he said, what can you tell us as an evangelist about urban ministry? Because I've done a lot of urban ministry and overseas ministry. And I says, you get no brownie points because you go into the inner cities. And you get no brownie points because you go to Africa and you go to these places that are third world. Because some of the hardest places to minister to are the major metropolitan areas. 
the last. I'd rather God send me down into the gut of Calcutta than have to do things in Beverly Hills just because of the strongholds that are there. And while I was in Beverly Hills, I thought, God, you can do it here. You can do it here. The people of these big multi-million dollar companies, see the real devils are not the foemen, froth, and demoniacs that are roaming around some foreign third world country. Those people have absolutely no influence. They can't change countries. They're banished into the outer courts. No one wants to deal with them. Those are the low level devils. The real high level devils are the ones that have suits and ties on that are making decisions and controlling all the world's money. Those are the people that I'm praying to see revival, friend. And you know why the devil has locked out the United States of America? Here's why. The reason that the devil has tried to keep revival from coming to the United States of America is this. Because we have the money. And if the United States were to see a mass move and a mass revival of God and corporate America would start coming back to Jesus and start some of our celebrities were some start coming back to Jesus, you say, oh, here goes one of those Hollywood preachers. I don't care. I don't have to preach them. I don't want to meet celebrities. If I did, I wouldn't name drop. I don't want to meet them. You lead them to Jesus. If we could get that money, the gospel would go all over the world into third world countries. You know, if Madonna got saved, how many people would come to know Jesus? If Madonna got filled with the Holy Ghost and wasn't just a, a belligerent Christian out there speaking for Jesus, but she walks up on the stage and you can see it in her eyes that she now has peace and that the Kabbalah that she was after couldn't help her. When you find out that these movie stars and celebrities are, are walking around living the real thing and they say, I've experienced something. I've experienced his glory. And the devil sits in darkness and says to his rulers of darkness, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Because he knows if it does, what God's going to do. Lift your hands to Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information about Chris Palmer and Chris Palmer Ministries, visit us on the web at www.chrispalmerministries.com or call us at 1-866-9808. And remember, walk in the Spirit in these last days.